0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, let's take our Bibles, if you would, please, and let's turn to Paul's second epistle to Timothy, chapter 3. Tonight is... The second part of our study of living as a learner, and this is a part of that part of our Living for Jesus series in which we're looking at different things that are necessary to bring us into close fellowship with God. Uh, we've talked about in our series about being a disciple of Jesus and what that means and what obedience to him means, what that's about. We've talked about worship and communication with him. And so what we're just kind of doing here is just trudging along with these different subjects and... Uh, learning how that Christians can do these things to serve the Lord in better ways, and tonight we come to another one of the very very critical issues that it takes uh, that it takes to serve the Lord and it takes us back to uh, a lesson where we heavily we did heavily emphasize the idea of worship and how that worship is. Uh, the ministry of the word in the in the life of a Christian that that is the priority of our worship and what I wanted to do tonight is return to that subject and we're going to talk about the priority of the word in a little bit different way the first time it was preaching I said preaching is the priority of worship in the church and now what we want to do is take the ministry of the word in the Christian life down to a more to a more personal level with you The preaching of the Word, the Word of God, has to be the focus of the Lord's Church. But before it can be the focus of the church, it has to be the focus of the individual. I mean, the church is the sum of its parts. And so all of us have to be focused on God's Word. And that is going to help all of us as a church be closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to know how to serve Christ in a better way, you have to know what does the Lord require? What does He require? And whether it's me as I preach the Word of God or you and your desire to learn what God wants you to do, the thing that we're going to do, both of us are going to do this. We have to use the Word of God as our source material. That's what the Word of God is for us. We get all of our information from the Bible. Now, if you look at these verses in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want to start reading at verse number 12. And Paul says here, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution that's a verse that these prosperity preachers need to read I think yea and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and thou hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I want you to notice there in verse number 12 how that Paul starts out. He begins with this word persecution. And without even saying it, what he's doing is taking us to the great adversary that every Christian faces. And in verse number 13, it seems that he doesn't hold out any hope at all that the situation is going to get better. Uh, It's not going to get easier avoiding Satan's attacks, but he says men are going to come from Satan and the seducers will keep getting worse and worse. They're evil, as he describes in like Satan, their father, they're always out there on the prowl. They're always trying to destroy the faith of God's people. Now, in 2 Corinthians, uh, they're described as deceitful men that are transformed into angels of light. And we might also mention that there are many deceitful women because we have to put up with the Joyce Myers and the Paula uh, Whites of this of this world as well. We have to deal with them. And so Paul speaks here of false apostles, and he means that these are people that are especially adept at deception. They can appear as ministers of light because Satan has taught them very well. He's able to mimic the ability to appear as that angel of light. And so over and over in the Scriptures, we find these warnings about false teachers. Second Peter chapter 2 says, "...but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you." "...who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of." Jude says, "...beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints." For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, Paul warned against false teachers in uh, the book of Acts when he had his last address to the Ephesian elders. He says this in Acts 20, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, "...to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw disciples after them." And so we see here the concern, three different New Testament authors. The concern they have, and none of them make any promises that we're finally going to be free from the constant assaults of Satan. But then Paul tells us here in our text verses in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that there is a way that we can protect ourselves from that. And so he wrote to Timothy, who, who was his young protege, and he said, as a minister, you have to continue in the things that you have learned. Verse number 14, he says, "...but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them." And then he went on to talk about the Scriptures that he learned, and he implies that what he had been taught was good for him. People have told him the truth, and it's important for him to stay in that truth, to stay in the Scriptures, because those Scriptures are the key to living in the good good works that God has created us for. Now, each of us knows that the encouragements that we read here are written to us as much as they were to Timothy, and we know that the Word of God is a, is a pattern for believers. The Bible is the master key, as I said a moment ago. That's the resource for remaining strong and learning how to live for Jesus. I think you know that's true. I doubt that there's anybody here that you're going to argue with me on that point this evening. You're not going to disagree. You know that studying the Word is critical to your holiness. You know that's how you live righteously, by following the Word. That's how you remain firm in the faith. You know that. You've heard it preached many times. You're assured of that. But although you know that this is true, you absolutely do know that this is true, there are very few in the church that actually spend time studying the Word. Most people have little to no time for the Word of God. I'm very disappointed in some ways uh, about Wednesday evening services. I know that there are many of you who could come. If you just made a little bit of effort, you could come, but you don't really think it's all that important to get deeper into God's Word. And so the Wednesday evening service might be the hardest study that we have during the week. I think many times it is. Sometimes you might go away confused and you wonder, what was all that about? But if you don't stop and think and listen, and try to clear up that condition of not understanding the Word of God, by being there to hear it broken down into the doctrinal issues that resolve the problems of your understanding, if you don't do that, then you're not going to be protected from the problems that you have of Satan attacking you with false teachers and all the things that are going on out there. And one of the things, I mean, the thing that we do, I should say, uh, on Wednesday evenings and other, other times that we meet together, is talk about things that are critical to the faith doctrines that we need to know things that need to be passed on to our children and if we expect the church that follows us to be strong in the faith then we've got to teach that generation and so what i'm telling you is that complacent apathetic christians are not only damaging themselves but they're also complicit in destroying the generation that comes after us now if you ever wonder why is it that America is so spiritually sick? Then look at your own desire. Look at your own desire to, to have a closer fellowship with the Lord. What, what is that desire? And, uh, you know, we really, can't, we really can't blame these things on Joel Osteen. And we can't blame it on Joyce Meyer. Blame yourself because what's happened is in Baptist churches, we created this corrupt environment where the cancer cell, cells of bad doctrine can grow. Now, for those of you that won't grace the door of a church on Wednesday night, I seriously doubt that what you're doing during that time is sitting at home studying systematic theology. Most of you have probably never even seen a book on systematic theology. Don't even know what that is. So I doubt very seriously if that's what what you're doing. Um, Not really studying the Word of God when you're not here. And so that becomes a very, very serious problem for God's people. How much do we actually know and understand of God's Word? The numbers of people that believe and know what they believe and why they believe it are very quickly dwindling in our country, in our Baptist churches. Now, I know that those of you that are saved, obviously you can articulate how you got saved. You you know how to do that because you got saved yourself. And so you may be able to give somebody the simple gospel But we wonder what's happened to to churches where people are genuinely interested in knowing more about the faith. Brian mentioned to me a friend. We've talked about it a couple of times. Who is a very, uh, very nice Christian man, a man who wants to live his faith. But he doesn't really think that doctrinal issues are all that important. And the question that I would ask about this, by whose authority... Do we say that we don't actually need to know these things? Is it okay if you're a know-nothing Christian? Is that all right? Well, this is what Paul, who was a great Christian, said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now in that text, Paul tells us how that we can know Christ. How do you know Christ? How do you go beyond the simple knowledge of the gospel? Well, actually, to know Christ, when the Bible says to know Christ, that means... To know all there is to know. To know all there is to know about Christ. And reading the Apostle Paul, he said, I've dismissed everything else. Everything else I've dismissed in order that I might pursue Christ. Now here in our text, Paul gives some insight as to how that's accomplished. It is the constant pursuit of God's Word, which he says is profitable unto good works. Now, if you were here for the last message, we discussed why that there is so much emphasis that's placed on Scripture. And you know the very simple answer to that question, why is there so much emphasis placed on it? Very simple. It's the Word of God. That's why there's emphasis placed on it. This is God's Word. This is the inspired, infallible Word of God. This is spe- God speaking to us. So how could we ever say that not knowing the Word of God is all right? How can you be a good Christian and not know what God says? There are many Christians that have labeled themselves good Christians. They've actually stamped their own approval on their lives. And they tell us they're good Christians. But they never actually checked, stopped to check the manual to see if that description meets God's description. It's sort of like this. It's like saying, you know, this car, this car is really a good car. It meets the description of a car. It's got four wheels. It's got two doors, four doors, got a steering wheel, got an engine. It's a a really good car, but it doesn't run on Wednesdays. And you can't really climb a hill with it because it doesn't have enough power to get up there. Uh, It kind of chokes and sputters when you get it under a load. It's not always very dependable, but it sure is a good car. That's like a self-described Christian. It's exactly like that. He's got the body style, may have all the outward things that makes him look like a Christian, but when you look at the manual, he's a pretty poor excuse. So why does, the, God, the, words, uh, does, does, does the, the Word of God have to be emphasized? That's it. It's God's Word. What more do you need to know than that? Well, actually, Paul gives us some things that we need to know more. An explanation of the more is in verse number 16, where he says it's profitable for us, It thoroughly equips us in doctrine. It corrects our our bad thinking. It teaches us to live righteously. Very simply put, the Word makes us more like Christ. And so if you you think that you're a good Christian, but you're not really interested in the details of the Word, then all that you have is a self-description that really counts for nothing. The Bible has been neglected, folks. Christians don't value it. Now let me tell you something that that should be said that's not often said. Does anybody ever come to you and ask you, "What makes your church different from other churches? What is it that makes your church different?" Some of you might say, "Well, we're different because we don't have a band. We don't have any entertainment at Berean Baptist Church. We don't we don't focus our efforts on on uh, social fun and games." That would be a true answer, wouldn't it? Some of you might say, well, um, we're different because our pastor is different. And I don't know exactly how you might mean that. I mean, you, you, you might say he's different. You might pick a lot of things that you don't like. And you may pick some things that you do like. But where do you ever hear this kind of an answer? We're different because we have a very high view of the glory of God. We're different because we believe in in God's grace, and we study the Word of God to to see how we've been chosen by God. And there is no reason to look at ourselves and to think why God should have anything to do with this. We're different because we're not really concerned about how the church can meet our felt needs. How many times have you seen a church advertised in that way? That it's advertised this way with a sales pitch that says, This is not about you. Don't come to this church... If you think it's about you, because it's not about you. This is about Jesus Christ. It's not about what you need, it's about what Christ wants. And you're never going to be satisfied with what you think you need unless you do what Christ wants. So where do you learn to respond like that? I can tell you where you learn to make those responses in the Word of God. That's what God's Word teaches. And so if you wonder why 90% of churches are all about self-help and all about teaching you to live up to your potential and what your potential is and about being happy, you can mark it down to this. They stopped studying the Word of God. And what sounds like good exposition is just awful exposition. So what do false teachers do? Well, they, they steer people away from the truth of God's Word. And when they read from the Bible, they twist the Scriptures and the people in the churches have never read anything for themselves. They haven't actually studied the Word of God themselves and so they're duped by what they hear. And and they suck up this bad doctrine like vacuum cleaners and they think that it's truth. And right here is the value of knowing the Bible. This is what Scripture says. Evil men and seducers and creepers creeps creep in. That's what the Bible says. So they'll deceive you. And when they deceive you, you don't have any line of defense. You don't have any way to protect yourself from that because you never cared to learn what God's Word says. Now, I realize I'm talking to some of you that actually do care. and We thank the Lord for that. But I imagine there's quite a few here that don't really care, that haven't shown that they want to spend time in God's Word. See, the Bible is what God said. And it's all that He said that He wanted you to know. There's nothing else to get but what he said right here in this word. This is what God wants you to know. Well, let's go about this a little bit of breaking down. Why Paul told Timothy he needed to continue in the word. Paul wanted him to continue to live as a learner. To keep learning, keep pursuing more and more of the knowledge of Christ. But before we handle this text, I want to take you to another important verse. Look back at 2 Timothy 2 verse number 15. Very familiar to you. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I felt like I needed to say something about that verse because it would be really hard for me to say anything to you about studying the word of God unless this verse comes to your mind. A few years ago, I, I spoke on this verse. And I'm sure that, like many past sermons, you have no idea what I said then. Uh, I asked the fundamentals class just a few weeks ago, do you remember what I preached on Easter? But the Easter sermon was out, nobody had a clue. So I, I thought, well, maybe I could just phone in the sermons. That would be good enough. It would be a whole lot easier. But back then when I was dealing with this passage of Scripture, um, there, were, there was someone that had given me a pamphlet. It came in the mail. I don't know exactly how I got my hands on it. But this, pa- this, this pamphlet was railing on the New King James Version. I'm not a fan of the New King James, so that didn't really bother me a whole lot. But the point that I made then is if you're going to disparage something, if you have a complaint against it, make sure that you know what you're talking about. So I was reading this pamphlet, and this pamphlet was just raging about this verse, 2 Timothy 2.15, and it said that the New King James wants to take out the only verse in the Bible, or mistranslate, the only verse in the Bible that says that we are to study the Word of God. And it was as if 2 Timothy 2.15 was the be-all, end-all of all verses of anything in the Bible that talked to you about studying the Word of God. And when I read that, I said, what you really need to do is study the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15 is not the only place that says study the Word of God. So the New King James translates 2 Timothy 2.15 this way. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. So, the New King James translates study there as be diligent. And the truth is, that's exactly what study means in that verse. In the time of the King James translators, to study, to do something, meant to be careful to do it, to be very diligent about doing it. The Greek word that's behind study here is the word spuadzo. It's it's used 11 times in the New Testament. 10 times it's translated as either endeavor, be diligent, be forward, labor. So in other words, what Paul is saying here is give effort to this. Pursue this. Be a worker that doesn't have anything to be ashamed of. Now, how, how in the world would you follow that command? How would you do that? Well, you'd have to study God's Word, wouldn't you? You'd have to know the Word. The Word is the place for instruction and in righteousness. That's what he says in the third chapter. So I, what I don't like is when somebody has an axe to grind and, and they go around making, they're building up their straw men that they can tear down. That doesn't make you look smart. Translating 2 Timothy 2.15 as be diligent is not destroying the command to study God's Word. If anything, it strengthens that command. Well, let's get started here. I thought that I needed to talk about that because I feel like that verse would come to your mind if you read 2 Timothy and we're talking about studying the Word. So l- let's get started in, in just kind of breaking this down a little bit tonight. First, in our outline, and this is where we'll we'll, we'll be here for a couple of weeks on this, the necessity of the Word. Why do we need the Word of God? Well, if you look at 2 Timothy 3:16 16 and, and uh, 17, this is a really good outline. Just the outline is right there for why you need to know the Word of God. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And listen, it's profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished into all good works. So we've got six points of an outline right there. If you want to preach, right there you go. Six points of your outline are already made. Well, that's good, but I'm not going to use that directly tonight. We're going to talk about all those things eventually, but I want to give you a little bit different outline about the necessity of the Word. Why is the Word of God necessary? Well, we'll start with this, that it's necessary for salvation it's necessary for your salvation paul when paul wrote this timothy had been a christian for many years and so he wouldn't he wouldn't necessarily begin with salvation because timothy was saved and he was the pastor of the church at ephesus and let me comment about that for just a moment tradition says that Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus, but I have to tell you, honestly, if you get down to studying the Word of God, you'll never find anything in the Word of God that says that Timothy was a pastor, and you'll never find anything that says he was the pastor at Ephesus, Uh, in other words, not a pastor at all. This is just assumed because Paul gave him instructions on the church, and he gave him things about church order and about leadership, about pastors and deacons, and he gave that information as if Timothy was the bishop of the church, and he was a translator, give that information to the church where he was. But the Bible never specifically says anything about Timothy being a pastor or the pastor at Ephesus. But we're going to assume that that tradition is correct. I think that it is correct. And Timothy was then a saved man. He had been for many years. Uh, this is the last letter that Paul wrote just before he was martyred so this is quite a while from the time that Paul first met Timothy now if you want to know why it's important to study the word it's because the person who gave you the gospel also knew the word somebody knew the word to give it to you Peter said that we are born again by the word this is what he says in 1st Peter 1 23 being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Sometimes when we think about the gospel, we think that it's only the part that tells you how to be saved. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is everything that's in the word of God. All of that comprises the gospel. God uses the word to bring people to faith in him. This is what James said. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. What does that mean to be born by the word of God? What does it mean when it says the word saves you? Well, it doesn't mean if you give somebody a Bible and they carry that Bible around under their arm that they have salvation with them. Just give them a Bible. Now, what it means is that the Word of God is the instrument by which the saving grace of God and the work of Christ in redemption is declared to us, that it becomes real to us, that the Holy Spirit uses that Word in order to convict us of that truth. How would you ever know about Christ? How would you ever know about Him if you didn't have the Word of God? Well, some people would say, well, we know about God because the heavens declare the glory of God. The Bible tells us that that creation, or in creation, we can see that God exists, but creation is not enough to tell us how we can have a saving relationship with God. See the person in the remotest part of the world. This is just innate, as we were talking um, in the forum class this morning. This is an innate innate knowledge that there is a god you don't have to explain to people that god exists but people don't understand who christ is unless somebody brings them the word and teaches them the word but people have trouble with that they don't like the idea that there are people around the world who who can't be saved without the gospel of christ and so they come with with something that says well god has to be fair to everybody everybody has to have the opportunity to, to, to hear the word so that they can believe, and so they come up with some strange, a lot of strange anti-scriptural theology to explain how people everywhere in the world can know Jesus Christ, or know how to be saved, or can get to heaven. Well, the truth is, everybody does not have the opportunity to hear about Christ, and they never did. They never did. You can't be saved by the light of nature. It's not going to happen. If it could happen, then we would tell missionaries, stay home and watch TV. Watch TV. We don't need to. We don't need to give you money to go preach to anybody. They can be saved by the light of nature. You understand that would very quickly kill evangelism. And yet, there are many people that have that belief. Even Baptists have that belief. Did you know that? Some of them have this belief that that everybody in the world is going to have the opportunity to hear the gospel in our lifetime. I've taught you about this. Not in our lifetime, or not anybody that's. That's a saved person on the earth right now, in the tribulation time, I think people everywhere will hear the everlasting gospel of Christ because it's going to be preached by an angel. Did you know that? Remember that, studying that in the book of Revelation? Everybody in the world will hear the gospel then, but not now. The Bible doesn't promise that now. Not that we shouldn't be out there trying to do it, but the Bible doesn't promise that every person is going to hear the gospel. So it's the Word that reveals Christ, and that's what we need. Now in our text, verse number 15 says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now if you look back at the last part of verse 14, Paul told Timothy to continue in what he had learned, and to know from whom he had learned what he knew. Paul, I'm sure, had his own teachings in mind. Uh, He he brought the gospel to Timothy, but he also had something else in mind. And that was Timothy's mother and his grandmother. Look back at chapter 1 for just a minute, verse number 3, 3 through 5. 2 Timothy 1, verse 3. I thank God, whom I served for my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. It was Timothy's mother and his grandmother that prepared him for the gospel. They did it by teaching him the scriptures. And so when Paul came to Lystra on his second missionary journey, he met Timothy and he gave them the gospel. And it was that foundation that Timothy had by listening to his mother and his grandmother that helped him to see Christ in the prophets, helped him to see Christ in the Old Testament. And, and then that, that word of Christ came into Timothy's heart and that, that what he'd learned from his mother and his grandmother greatly helped him to understand. Well, that that shows you how important it is that You teach children the Word of God. Oh, it's good for you to have them in Sunday school. You ought to do that. But you ought to teach them at home. You are your child's primary educator. You. You're supposed to teach him the Word of God. I've had conversations with Sunday school teachers who say that it's very easy to tell which of their students get something at home and which of them get nothing until they get to church. What would you expect to find? A child that doesn't get anything at home is going to be behind the ones that get their instruction at church too, right? They're going to be behind. They're not going to know as much. And that's evident. It's evident when your children have not been taught anything at home. What the Word of God does is bring those kids to salvation. You keep teaching them the Word, and what will happen is We'll have a few more Timothys in a few years. We'll we, you teach them at home, and then we'll teach them when they get here to church, and we'll have some more Timothys who are able to carry on the faith. So that's what wor- the Word of God does. The Holy Spirit uses that as the instrument to move the heart. Uh, the Word causes conviction, and that's what it means to be born again by the Word. Now I think about what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, and he explained to Nicodemus about being born again. And he told them that the Holy Spirit is the cause of, have, of being born again. And, and uh, th- th- this is an interesting thought because there are so many preachers who think that they are experts on John 3. I mean, what scripture would you know better than where Jesus taught about being born again? And so many think that they are just experts on John 3, but they still don't understand what Jesus was saying about the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. Jesus was very straightforward in his teaching in John 3, that he he teaches that the Holy Spirit regenerates before repentance and faith, that he works secretly beneath the consciousness to bring a person to faith. But many preachers are as bad as Nicodemus in understanding that. But that be as it may, Jesus said to Nicodemus, You mean... You mean that you are a teacher in Israel? Here's somebody that sits on the Sanhedrin. Here is somebody that is a teacher, a ruler in Israel. And you don't know these things? You who have studied the Old Testament Scriptures, you don't know about the Holy Spirit's work and regeneration? Jesus wasn't the first to teach on that. It's in the Word of God before we ever get into the New Testament. Nicodemus wasn't the first to hear anything about this. This is in the Old Testament. Scripture said, or Jesus is saying, if you you believe the Scriptures, you don't have any trouble seeing me. You can see Christ in the Scriptures. So we look at Ezekiel, for instance, in Ezekiel 36, where God is so clear about this. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Can you read that and not see what God says? I, 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 I will do this. I'm the one that's going to do this. And it says nothing about you doing it. God says, I'm going to put my spirit in you, not you. You're not going to make, well, I'm not going to get into all that tonight. You you know what I'm talking about. So this is extremely important. No one is ever going to be saved without the Word of God. Uh, The written Word of God. Well, how were people saved before there was a written Word of God? Still saved by the Word of God, actually. They were still saved by the Word of God. How? Well, God spoke directly. God spoke to Adam. Adam. God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to Moses. But what about all the people God didn't speak to? Well, Abraham, Moses, Adam taught his children what God said. So they told them what God said. It's always God's word by which we're saved. So no matter how you look at it, the word of God is necessary for salvation. Now let me give you one more. I'll try to move quickly and then we'll stop for this evening. But secondly, why is the word of God so important? It's important for condemnation. Well, that seems very odd to follow salvation with condemnation. We'd rather think of salvation, wouldn't we? We'd rather think of that. Nobody, but nobody gets this message of salvation unless they understand about condemnation. Uh, as I've told you many times before, salvation doesn't really have any context at all unless you talk about condemnation. Jorge was telling me about a man that he was witnessing to. And Jorge asked him, Are you saved? And the man said, Saved from what? And that's a good question. you got to be saved from something, don't you? Listen to what Jesus says, John 12, 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Those are very powerful words. What he's saying is... You reject the gospel, or in this case, reject Jesus' own testimony of who he is. That's the cause of condemnation. You see the word judge there? That word is translated as condemned in John 3.18. So what Jesus is saying here, the word that I've spoken, the same shall judge him or the same shall condemn him in the last day. And I think that's interesting because Jesus was speaking to Jews in that passage and he didn't really have much of a ministry to Gentiles because he was said, I'm sent to the, I'm sent to Israel. And so you know that the Jews had a whole lot of objections to what Jesus said. And so they, they would say, well, we're not going to listen to you because Abraham is our father. We have, we have, we're not Jesus' disciples, we are Moses' disciples. That's what they said in John 9. We're not Jesus' disciples, we're Moses' disciples. Well, That's fine. That's fine. If you don't want to be judged by Jesus' words, that's okay. Moses' words will do just fine. You're going to be judged by the laws of Moses. And what did the laws of Moses actually do for Israel? Condemn them. And those arguments by, by Paul about faith in Romans and Galatians, what did Paul say that the law does? You read Romans, and Romans tells us what the gospel is. You read Galatians, and Galatians tells us what the gospel is not. And both of them conclude that salvation is by faith and that the law can do nothing for us but condemn us. Now Romans says that the Jews had the oracles of God. And what did the oracles of God do for them? They judged them. They couldn't keep God's law. So Galatians tells us, well, what's the law intended for? What does it do? Galatians 3, 23 and 24. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us under Christ that we might be justified by faith. So he says the law is the schoolmaster. There, the word is pedagogos. And the law instructs us. And what the law says, you better hurry up and get the faith in Christ. There is no salvation here. That's what the law says. And the Bible says the law is great. The law is holy. And it's just and it's good. And that's why it can never save you because the law is everything that you are not. You're not holy and just and good. So what the Ten Commandments do is they just put nails in your coffin. So if the Jews wanted to go there, well, that's fine. The Word, the Word of God condemns them but then on the other hand, the Gentile, other hand, the Gentiles might say, well, okay, we're not going to trust the law. And then Paul comes along, and Jesus comes along, and he says, that, okay, my words will condemn you. If you turn away from the law for salvation, you still have a problem because the gospel will condemn you as well. That sounds very strange, doesn't it? But that's true. You reject the gospel, and it's not the means of salvation. It's the means of condemnation. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2:15 and 16. For we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ in them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one we are the savour of death unto death, and to the other the savour of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? So the gospel not only saves people; the word of God not only saves, but it also condemns. Now, just finally here to finalize the point, let's go to Revelation chapter 20, if you would. Jesus said that the Word is going to judge people in the last day. And Revelation chapter 20 is the very last day. This is when those that are lost are going to see God no more after this. This is the time of judgment. And in Revelation 20, verse number 12, it says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. Of fire. Now there you see that every person at this judgment is going to be judged by their works. And what would those works be compared to? What, 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 do they compare, what are they compared to? How do we know whether the works are good or bad? Well, every work is going to be compared to what God says. What does the Word say? What are the commandments? In other words, are your works the same as God's commandments? Now you know the drill on this. Those of you that uh, were in our class uh, a, year, a couple of years ago uh, on the evangelism class, we, we, we looked at that way to approach people with the gospel of Christ. And the thing that you do is before you take them to grace, you take them to the law. So you know the drill. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever thought a bad thought about a man or a woman? Ever committed adultery in your heart? Or have you ever cheated on any, on any, uh, in anything? Have you ever been jealous of somebody? Have you ever used God's name as a curse word? Did you ever do that? And that's not all. If, 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 if a person was to say, well, I've never done any of those things, which nobody could be honest and say that, they're already lying, but let's suppose that they could, then you would say, well, then did you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? Is everything in you? Have you loved God? And then did you love your neighbor as yourself? Had you all, have you always treated your neighbor in the right way? That's God's criteria for judgment. What's God saying in His Word? That's the standard that we're going to be judged by. And so the Word of God is necessary for judgment. What God said, what's written. The written Word is going to be opened up at that last day. And everything that people have done was going to be compared to that Word. And so when you stand before God in the judgment, here's what will happen. If you're at this judgment, He'll throw the book at you. He'll throw the book of the law at you. And compare your works to what's in that law, what he said. There's two reasons that the word of God is necessary, for salvation and also condemnation. One more note that we need to add to that, and that is that the saved are going to be judged too. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, listen, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And that good or bad is still based on what God said. I'll confess to you, I don't understand all of what 2 Corinthians 5.10 means. I don't know all what it means to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and to be judged according to the things that we've done, whether it be good or bad, and know all about the consequences of that. But I do know this, that Paul wouldn't have mentioned it if it wasn't very important. If it wasn't a serious thing, he never would have talked about it. So I don't think that you want to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as a Christian, and you'll say to Christ, You know, I didn't think the word was really all that important. I I didn't really think of that. I mean, uh, I know what you said, but I've got my own ideas about what a good Christian is. I don't think that I want to make that argument. Do you? If you can't convince me, you're not going to convince him. We're all going to stand, Christians, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And knowing the Word of God, what you know about it, that's your criteria for judgment. Did you do things good or bad? It's all going to be compared to the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your Word, how important it is to us. I just pray that as as Christians we would really realize that importance we say that we're good christians we go to church Uh, we spend the time to get here and we try to look like christians and do all these kinds of things but where is our heart really in the matter do we really know your word and we have to be honest with ourselves that none of us including the preacher none of us know it like we should lord help us to spend more time in your word in jesus name we pray dot